1: Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Today, um, we have such an inspiring story. We have Army veteran Sean Booker, who was in the Iraq War, and he had problems with his kidneys due to the fact—I'm going to let him tell the story—and he's been on dialysis, and he's now a firefighter, and he's just an amazing— Person and he's part of the Fresenius Medical Care's Thrive On program, and we're very excited because he's going to tell us his story. Sean, welcome to the program.
0: Well, thanks for having me.
1: Tell us a little bit about when you joined the army and what your health status was at the time.
0: Um, well, I joined when I was 18, right out of high school. My father had been in the military; he's a Marine. My grandfather had been in the army. My grandfather on my mother's side had been in the Army and all had been to war, actually. So when I joined, I was, you know, following a family tradition, but I was also looking to uh, get some money for college and, you know, continue to further my education that way.
1: You served in the Iraq War, which, um, thank you for your service. Oh, and, you're welcome. And your kidneys started failing because of burning oil?
0: Yeah, it was, it was the first war, uh... They termed it the Gulf War or the first Iraq War. Um, when Saddam lit those oil wells on fire, mm-hmm. where we were at in Iraq was, uh, well, it turned a bright day in the desert to nighttime, and it was only noon. Just so much smoke, it just turned it black. Um, and just where we were at, there was no way we couldn't inhale it. So just inhaling all that burning petroleum gave me what's called good pasture syndrome. And that's
1: what caused my kidneys to fail. Oh, wow. That's just, that just sucks. Excuse my, no other way to say it. <laughs> and, and what was year was this? Did you um, have to go on dialysis right away? Did you um, want to get a transplant? Tell us about that process of transitioning into knowing you have kidney disease and you have to make a decision.
0: They thought maybe, um they would be able to stop my kidney progression, uh, my kidney failure progression. There was a lot of medicine, a lot of trials, a lot of uh, poking and prodding, you know, for lack of a better term. We just, after, oh, I'd say it was about a year and a half uh, from from when I first realized it, then I went into a full kidney failure.
1: And how old were you at the time, may I ask? I was 23. Wow. Well, that's, um, I I had, uh, I was on dialysis at 23 from age 12 to 23. And it's, it's, you know, it's sometimes easier, I I say, to be sick when you're a kid because you don't know the difference and you kind of grow up. But once I had the transplant, you know, when I was 24 and started to feel good and had to have another one 20 years later, I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, this isn't so easy anymore. The older you get, (laughs) the harder it is to adapt. So you start. So what? Um, did you get a transplant? What What was the next steps?
0: Yeah, I was on dialysis for four and a half years, and it took that long because I had some uh, anti-GBMs, they call them, in my system.
1: They sound like little soldiers.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> but what they did is they attacked all that oil, which is you know it hurt my lungs, but your lungs can recover, and they did. But it destroyed my kidneys. So. I was on it for four and a half years and after four and a half years well after three years I was able to get on the transplant list and then at four and a half I got a transplant. I was twenty seven. Um, and you know, it wasn't all peachy king, everything didn't work out perfectly. There were some complications at first, but we fortunately got those worked out through some medicine and um some other things, and you know, and then I had a transplant for 16 years. And
1: it and is that when you decided you wanted to become a firefighter?
0: You know, after I got out, and gotten out of the army, I was wondering what I could do because I was in college and I was studying psychology when I got sick, and I just was trying to find something that filled that same desire to serve and desire to help and protect. And my wife, actually, well, she wasn't my wife at the time, but she sent an ad in the newspaper and said, hey, didn't you always say you wanted to be a firefighter or something? And I was like, well, yeah. She said, well, there's an ad in the paper. You should go apply. (laughs) (laughs) And it was as simple as that. So I went and applied.
1: Now, was the application or training process, because this was basically after you had been diagnosed with good pasture syndrome and had some problems with kidney disease, Um, were you transplanted at the time? Because I think uh, a lot of our listeners may want to know how that worked because they often feel, well, if I have some kind of illness, they won't accept me um, in being a firefighter or some kind of emergency personnel.
0: Yeah, I, I was transplanted at the time. Which allowed me to become a firefighter, Um, but I'm also a paramedic.
1: Okay. Um,
0: And being a paramedic, it doesn't matter at all about kidney disease, you know. Um, As for being a firefighter, I was transplanted and I was a firefighter for almost 10 years before my transplant failed.
1: I have a question, though. When you were fighting fires, because I have a transplant right now, uh-huh. you know, dehydration is a really big problem. And maybe I'm thinking about what it's like in Los Angeles here because it's 110 degrees and, you know, they have those spacesuits on going oh, yeah. in to, you know, fight a fire. And I'm like... It has to be 150 degrees in that suit. And and how do you drink and how do you stay hydrated? That's what I want to know. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, it, it gets... I'm in Indiana here and it gets very hot um, in the summer. And it's probably going to reach 90 today. And then the humidity is what kills us here because the humidity gets up into the 60, 70, 80 percent with no rain. Um But, yeah, whenever we go in, we're dressed in full gear. My gear itself weighs 75 pounds, just my gear. Um, And then once it gets wet, you know, it gets heavier. We're lugging a tool and, you know, the hose with us, too, just (laughs) the tool just in case we get trapped so we can get out, um, and the hose to get to the fire and the seat of the fire and put it out.
1: I'm tired just hearing about (laughs) (laughs) it.
0: Well, yeah, it gets it gets very hot, and and you get very tired, and you're right, you do get dehydrated. And as soon as we come out, we have a, a two to three bottle minimum, which is the air on our backs. Once we suck those down, and, you know, we come out and change, we can only do it twice and occasionally three times. And then we have to take a break and get rehydrated, you know, drink some Gatorade, drink some water, and then get dressed and get ready to go back in and help.
1: So when your transplant was puttering out, because I never like to use the word rejection, I think there's enough rejection in this world from other things. We don't have to talk about it with our with our transplant oh, kidneys. I like how you say yeah, that. Yeah, we just got to putter it out. So, it, th- was it a slow progression? Um, was it quickly? Did you just start to notice you didn't feel as well? And um, and, and how did that take a toll on your uh, you know your family, your your work, and how did you adjust?
0: Um, well, it, it did just slowly cut her out, and and I could definitely feel it happening. I could tell my legs were getting swollen, whereas before they weren't. You know, I felt heavier. I didn't have as much energy. I was definitely tired. Um, no matter how much I tried, you know, I could tell that it was going bad for me. You know, and it was going to happen. But I'd also known that I'd already been there before. And I knew what to expect. So it wasn't necessarily comforting, but it was, it wasn't new to me. It wasn't a fear of the unknown. Um, my wife was very supportive. She knew that when I came home from work, I was more than likely going to be very tired. So she did more around the house than I did. And she took up, you know, the slack. And on days where I just couldn't go out, You know, she wanted to go out to dinner and she knew that I just necessarily, maybe I couldn't do it that day. I would definitely try to rest up for work. I would rest up for special occasions, you know, just so I would have that energy to be myself and not just tired me. Um, As far as work, you know, like I said, I would rest up. And then when I could rest at work... I would take advantage of those situations. I was the lieutenant on the shift, though, so I was in charge of my engine and an ambulance. So most of the time I was on my feet putting out small fires around the firehouse or, you know, making sure things were getting clean, things were getting done, training was getting taken care of. So it was definitely uh, taxing on me during that time. I think that was probably my toughest time because I was just so tired and then I started losing my appetite
1: I know that so. feeling and denial denial is such a
0: yeah, uh, incredible thing
1: like I don't feel that bad and you know you, right. you don't want to you know the, when you don't want to eat anymore and I'm sure you understand this but just explain it to the people listening is that's because all the toxins are building up in your bloodstream and it tricks your brain to thinking you're not hungry it does and so um, it's just it's, it's just a sign that you need dialysis <laughs> and, or you need more dialysis. If people are being dialyzed right now and they're not hungry, it's because their blood is not clean enough to, to tell the brain we need food. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, so you went back on dialysis. Uh, what, what treatment did you choose?
0: I looked at home dialysis. I chose hemo uh, in-center. The in-center wound up working better for me. With my um, work schedule, firefighters work 24 hours, and then we're off for 48 hours. Mm -hmm. So I work one day, and then I have a weekend.
1: That helps a lot, right? Because you can kind of...
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My department's also been phenomenal to me. They they treat me well, which, you know, with the Americans with Disability Act, for any of your listeners out there, it does protect all of us who have Mm -hmm. kidney issues.
1: We're very lucky.
0: We're very lucky. That's right. So they should not be afraid to use that if they have to.
1: And what kind of accommodations do you have to take? Like, give, us, give, give me a couple of examples.
0: Okay. Well, I, like I said, I'm a paramedic. I'm a firefighter. I'm a lieutenant on the engine, um, which means if I get there first, then I'm in there first with my crew. Days I have dialysis, however, so much fluid being taken off and being already so close to dehydration, I do not fight fire on those days. Fortunately, I have other skills that I can use, and I'm still, you know, I usually will take command of the fire ground, and then I'm outside and basically telling the guys what I'm seeing outside and what I need them to do to get this fire under control. Or, if there's patients, you know, someone who was injured, then I can always put my paramedic skills to use and... IVs or whatever, transport them to the hospital.
1: Well, you know that brings an interesting question because when you're in the when they're, you're in the dialysis unit, maybe you could work out a system where they could roll your chair over to the other person who may need a paramedic assistance. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever talked about to, to Fresenius about that? Maybe you could get yeah. some Burks.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's something they need to start. <laughs> they always tell me that if you know if, if there's ever really a fire, they're taking me off first, and, <laughs> and then I need to let. You know,
1: start need to do your job. Out. Start, start <laughs> escorting the saline bags, right?
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, well, you also run marathons and lift weights.
0: Well, that's I haven't run a marathon yet, but that's my goal. Your goal? goal? Yeah.
1: So you're lifting weights and you exercise because you have to. If you don't stay fit, you can't, I mean, there's so many accommodations, right? Uh, um, Right. If you can't get up and move, they can't really accommodate you.
0: Right. I was just on the treadmill right before we started this, actually. It's, It's a routine. I think that I know people are tired sometimes and they don't have the energy. But on the days that you have the energy, you should try to do something, even if it's just walking around the block, you know, to start. But taking care of yourself through physical fitness, and, and it doesn't have to be lifting weights and, you know, trying to run marathons, but if you get your body up and get your body moving, it feels better, you know.
1: It, it does. The other
0: days I noticed I have so much more energy. Like, you know, today is not my dialysis day, which is why I was on a treadmill. If it was my dialysis day, I would not be on the treadmill. You know, I would um, do a little bit of lifting um, because I'm weaker, too. I know dialysis makes people weaker. I'm I'm in the same boat. I'm tired afterwards, and I'm a little weaker, but I'll come home. I'll take a nap, you know, eat, uh, replenish myself just a little with fluid because we all know we can't drink that much. And then later on in the day, then I'll do some lifting. Well,
1: and maybe walk the dogs if I'm at home or something. Well, I know. dog. Um, I have three dogs and a cat and a parrot. And, you know, dogs are such amazing spirits. And it's anybody can have an animal. It's, they, they can get you out and make you play and walk. And it's, I, I just encourage everybody who can have the gift of an animal or the gift of a pet to give it to themselves.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I agree.
1: Well, are you on the transplant list?
0: I am. I'm um, actually, since I'm a veteran... I'm able to be on the transplant list through the VA, Mm -hmm. which I'm on in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Strange since I'm in Indiana. And then I'm also on here in Indiana. So I'm on two transplant lists. And I have been for about three and a half years now. How long? About three and a half years. Three and
1: a half years. And what is your blood type?
0: I'm O positive.
1: Okay, yeah, O's, I'm O-negative, so O's are always the universal donor. They're a little more difficult. Now, has anybody ever come forward to donate a kidney to you, or have you asked anybody to donate a kidney?
0: I have not asked, and I don't know, maybe it's the soldier and firefighter in me. I'm always helping other people, always protecting other people. It's hard for me to ask for the same help. I know. Uh, But I have had people who went and got tested for me and just were not for one reason or another, uh, good matches for me. Well, and, well, again, O positive isn't the easiest to get.
1: Well, I want to I just, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but those people who are willing to donate to you, um, there's things called kidney chains now, and that's where, you know, they donate to somebody else, but somebody donates to you.
0: Yeah, um, we found out about that here recently, and my wife tried, but... She has high blood pressure, so they would not allow her to do it.
1: Okay. But
0: I hadn't talked to any of the others who had tried to donate about
1: that. Uh, and things are getting, uh, you know, there, there's all kinds of initiatives. But if you have somebody who wants to step forward and donate, um, the the National Kidney Registry, if you want to go look at that website, uh, Garrett Hill, who runs that organization,
0: mm-hmm. is
1: amazing. And he actually started it because he wanted to donate a, do- his, a kidney to his daughter. And her daughter had a blood transfusion like a week or two before he was going to donate. And then he couldn't donate to her. And oh, he wow. was very frustrated that why can't I just give my kidney to somebody else and somebody give her a kidney?
0: Yeah. And
1: and he, y- you'll have to go check it out, it's um, NKR, National Kidney Registry. And I think nationalkidneyregistry.org, dot org, and um, you you can read all about it. You can hear the centers that are active in it. Uh, oh, that sounds
0: like a great idea.
1: Yeah, it's really it's really hopeful. It gives us more options. Yeah. So I have you, to do that. So you know, and and kind of wrapping up the interviews. So what what keeps you motivated?
0: Uh, well, I love life. You know, I, <laughs> That's a great I enjoy answer. my life. <laughs> I do. I know. You know, I. Uh, I love riding motorcycles, I love going scuba diving, I love going on vacation with my wife and, you know, spending time with my, you know, grandkids and just, you know, having fun with the dogs, and and if I can't, I always say, you know, there's only really two choices when it comes to doing dialysis or not doing dialysis, and, you know, dialysis is a good choice, and not doing dialysis means, you know, you... Are no longer alive, so that's just not a good option. So, you know, I have, I have a lot of things I still want to accomplish. I'm 45. Mm-hmm. I love being a firefighter. I love helping people. I love being a paramedic. And to be able to do those things, I've got to stay in shape. I'm around guys who are 20 years younger than me and who are not on dialysis, who have no kidney issues. You know, so I've got to be in better shape than they are just to do what they're doing mm-hmm. you know i have to keep myself healthy if i want to enjoy scuba diving enjoy you know going on riding with the motor on the motorcycle with my wife and
1: it's quality of life really it's quality, quality of, of life. life yeah we
0: absolutely. play a big
1: role in improving it i mean dialysis is part of it but we have to do the th- the other side of it to keep
0: You're right
1: to keep our mind you know, focused. in I mean, I love to make jewelry. I love to do all kinds of creative things and put on events and, and, you know, you have to have a purpose. If you don't have something that you, you don't look forward to, if you get up in the morning and I always ask, you know, some of my peers, I'm like, so, so what are you looking forward to? And they're like, nothing. And I'm like, you know, that's my barometer that they're extremely depressed. And it's, if you don't have anything to look forward to when you're on dialysis, it it can just be too difficult um, at times. And it's just easy to say, oh, I'm not going to show up or I'm going to eat this cheese pizza and banana split
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and um,
1: because, uh, uh, you know, the comfort foods. I am so impressed by your story. I... I hear a lot of stories and, you know, your attitude of, you know, number one serving in the war and, you know, that's amazing. And you were injured in the war and you had to come back and get a transplant and now you're on dialysis and you're waiting for another transplant and you just, you know, you don't miss a beat. (laughs) (laughs) And how could you bottle that and give it to other people?
0: (laughs) Well, I can just say, the way I see it is got to love your life, and if you love yourself, if you love your life, you know, get out there and find something you enjoy doing, and, you know, whether it's volunteering at, um, like, a horse therapy center, I do that also just to keep my, you know, myself positive. Yeah, just find something that lights your fuse, mm-hmm. and then you can become dynamite.
1: That is such a great quote. And, you know, find something that lights your fuse and become dynamite. And I think one of the elements that you express so well is that you have to have the skills to help when you volunteer.
0: Right.
1: You know, sometimes I have people who call and, like, they want to volunteer for me. And I'm like, what What are you? What can you do? And they're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> um, and so you have to find out what you're good at and how you can help people. Right. And and then the secret of happiness is helping other people.
0: I does. <laughs> no, it, it really helps. It does. it does,
1: Sean. It's been a pleasure to you know speak to you, hear your story. I know I've been inspired. I know you're inspiring other people, and I just can't wait to hear when you get transplanted in your next next chapter.
0: Well, well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook
0: or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own
1: health care provider regarding your medical condition.